This is COVID-19 Seattle. I'm Aaron Granillo. And I'm Mike Lewis, filling in for Dave Ross. Boeing is cutting production and jobs and citing the pandemic as the reason. So to explain what's going on with all of this, we are bringing in our resident transportation expert today, reporter Chris Sullivan. Hey there, Sully. Afternoon, guys. Okay, so Boeing is posting its third straight losing quarter. That is a net loss of $2.4 billion. And CEO Dave Calhoun says it's all because of the pandemic stifling air travel. On the commercial side, our industry and our company are weathering challenges like none we have ever experienced in our lifetimes. And many of those challenges are still unfolding. He says it'll take between three and five years for the company to recover to where they were in 2019 and did seem optimistic. Focus not just on adopting and recovering, but on emerging stronger and more resilient than ever before. But in the meantime, the company has already cut over 10,000 jobs in Washington state this year. Sully, how bad a shape is Boeing in? Well, there are th- three straight losing quarters is somewhat unprecedented in recent times. I mean, they've been going, going, going and posting records and records. And, and let's not... Uh, we also don't want to discount the two deadly max crashes and also contributing to what Boeing is feeling. The pandemic was, you know, a double whammy of sorts, and it really just got rid of the passenger air service, you know, whatsoever. But I think what's interesting coming out of all of this is the production cuts uh, across the board. And for people who, and we can get, you know, talk big issues in a moment, but I think the most important thing a lot of people in Everett want to know, we'll have a job working on the 787 going forward because as they go down from 10 planes a month to six, they're talking about consolidating the lines between Everett and South Carolina because does it make sense to have two lines when you're only building six airplanes a month? And so Boeing actually finally confirmed what a lot of us had been thinking, that they are now doing an analysis of whether or not they are going to combine those lines. And most people agree that it would be North uh, South Carolina, North Charleston, that would win that battle because they make the biggest of the family, the Dash 10. And uh, the Dash 10 can't be made in Everett because they can't fly the pieces of the fuselage there because they're just too big. Sully, I mean, it's my impression, at least from following your coverage and other people who cover aviation, uh, that this analysis is essentially going to be a couple people sitting in a room and marking time until they say yes. You know, I, I would like to think that that's not the case, Mike. I, I'm not sure if, uh, where I stand on that. I'm probably guessing it's probably over 50% of my gut right now tells me similar. But when you heard Calhoun speak to reporters after the conference call this week, he actually said the decision hadn't been made and it was really going to be determined by how fast and what global flight, you know, return to passenger flight looks like. They could handle this six a month for about 18 months, maybe. And if the international flights start coming back, that's what the 8-7 was designed for, the Twin Isles for those international flights. And the international flights are supposed to follow, obviously, domestic flights coming back in, in the order of things. And if they think that they need to go back to 10 a month, that maybe they can still keep both lines. But I think what it's going to depend on, really, when you get come down to brass tacks on it, is is there the demand for this airplane coming back? And if the international flights aren't there, I think Everett is in trouble. Three to five years. I mean, if this does last five years and the demand isn't there... Does the Everett plant even stand a chance at that point? Well, we're, remember, we're only talking about one line, line of planes right. at Everett. But, of course, I mean, the 8-7 was its baby, uh, you know, a big one when they you know, we brought that in in 2003. Obviously, they've got the 777X, but they've cut production on that as well. That's, you know, they pushed first flight of that back to 2022. Uh, so, I mean, Everett will still be viable, certainly, because they build the 767 there, which is the Air Force refueling tanker. Uh, it's used off of that body. So, they, I mean, it's not like Everett is going to dry up and, you know, the last person 
person leaving Seattle turn off the lights like they said about Boeing in the 70s. But there's enough concern out there. I'm still hopeful that the demand will come back. But, I mean, we're going to see. I mean, if people are not comfortable getting into airplanes, even though they have some of the best circulated air (laughs) around compared to any other form of transportation, it's going to be difficult to get back to 2019 levels. And it's also important, I think, and I think you've mentioned this before, to not overlook the hundreds of contractors and thousands of people who they employ collectively, as many as Boeing, uh, who are dependent on these planes running locally. Yeah, that supply chain, Mike, you're right, not just locally, but around, but locally primarily. I mean, Boeing, 70% of what they make ends up going to their suppliers, that supply chain. I mean, that's a huge number. And if that number dwindles or continues going into the red, you know, if they're not building airplanes, they don't need parts. They don't need parts. Those suppliers don't exist. I mean, we've got a whole homegrown market around the aerospace industry. I mean, certainly even with the carbon fiber technology of the 777X, which has just kind of come to this area. Area because uh, of the technology and the new technologies emerging there. But you're right. I mean, it's not just the Boeing and their 10,000 workers and the maybe more that are going to be laid off the rest of this year or even going in forward. It's those suppliers. It's the mechanic. It's the guy selling coffee. You know, all it's those little shops. All it's of, all it's, of it. It's a domino that, that doesn't, we don't even know where it finally ends. Yeah, it right. used to be that they said about five jobs in Washington State hmm. were, were directly related in some way to Boeing. Now, I think it's down to about three considering how many, but still, if one employee equals three other jobs, it's hard to really get a handle on just how important Boeing's finances are to our region, to our state, and to be honest, to, to the U.S. economy as you know, one of the biggest exporters of uh, high dollar items. That's Cairo Radio's Chris Sullivan. Thank you. Anytime. As other parts of the world open up while cases here in the United States continue to rise, some of us might feel a little frustrated to watch how normal life can seem in other countries. King 5 News recently did a feature comparing King County's coronavirus outbreak to Vancouver, B.C.'s, where there's a similar population size and about the same amount of testing. So here's what they found. As of July 21st, Vancouver had 1,043 cases with 103 confirmed deaths. In King County, Nearly 15,000 cases, over 600 deaths, and that's in King County alone. King 5 interviewed a few Canadians who were visiting Peace Arch State Park. Americans have a little bit of Wild West attitude towards a lot of things. Would you go to the U.S. right now? Absolutely not. The U.S.-Canada border will be closed to non-essential travel until at least August 21st, but that deadline has been extended before and could be extended again. What do we pin this on, Mike? Why is Canada doing so much better than than we are? What do we pin this on? Who knows better than you? (laughs) We know. I mean, we didn't decide to clamp. We clamped down and then let up and then clamped down. And and what we've been saying all along, what everyone who's talking about has been saying all along, is that you are only as good um, as the least among you. And that would be the states that didn't clamp down at all because we haven't stopped interstate travel. So... I don't know how it gets any better here until it gets better everywhere in the United States. Yeah, I've heard uh, a few interviews here in recent weeks talking about how America's you know, rugged individualism, in a way, is is hampering our efforts to reopen, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's ironic because we are a free country, but unfortunately, at this point, like— <laughs> And this sounds so wrong. You have to sacrifice some of your freedoms. And I know that's that takes us down a slippery slope, right? I know that's, right. that's sort of where people have a tough time 
obeying the mask mandate and all these other restrictions. But it is a time where we all do have to come together to reopen the economy and get back to normal. Yeah, I mean, we're sacrificing. We can't drive any speed we want. I mean, we sacrifice our freedoms uh, all the time. I mean, we have to. There, there are societal needs, and then there are individual needs, and that's always a tension, uh, particularly in a place like the United States that has this whole idea about the individual, uh, you know, as great as the collective. But in this particular case, when we have one individual who can actually radically affect the, the, the larger group of people, that, that's been working against us as much as it has historically worked for us at times. Alaska is the latest to add some kind of travel restriction across state lines. Starting on August 11th, non-resident travelers will have to show airport officials that they've tested negative for COVID-19 in the past 72 hours. Governor Mike Dunleavy explained the decision at a press conference on Tuesday. One of the reasons that um, we've changed the uh, travel uh, process coming in is we can redirect some of those resources to our internal uh, our internal uh, testing to test Alaskans, to focus on Alaskans. Alaska's case count has risen by over 30 percent in the last week alone, and testing supplies also became unstable. Uh, there's no quarantine option any longer, and coronavirus tests will be provided at the airport for Alaska residents, not for visitors. Smart strategy there in Alaska, Mike? That's the only strategy they can take, right? They don't really have. They've been doing the quarantine thing for a little while um, in, in for people traveling from the, the Washington area. And there's a whole bunch daily flights between here and Alaska. We're practically a part of each other's state mm-hmm. because there's so much transfer back and forth. It has been and I know a couple of people who went up there and had to do the testing and had to provide testing information when they got immediately upon landing uh, in Anchorage. It, I mean, we see a great benefit in in island countries uh certainly in hawaii Mm. places that actually have a much easier time controlling the border alaska is effectively like that if you look at the border to canada not a lot of people there not a lot of people driving into alaska so alaska does have the opportunity to really limit how it checks people all people who come in because they tend to come by land rather they tend to come by air or by sea If you're feeling at all trapped right now because of these travel restrictions or you're stuck working from home, here's something to try. There's a website that lets you look out someone else's window for a little while. It's called Window Swap. The views from different windows have been collected from all around the world during quarantine, and you can upload the view from your own window, too. You got some examples here, Mike? Yeah, it's great. I actually (laughs) found this website, I think, independently, and I was going through it, one of those internet rabbit holes. Yeah. And you're clicking around, and you're getting windows from people in Lisbon, Portugal. You're getting windows from people in Vladivostok. You're getting (laughs) Russia. You're getting windows from people in uh, Memphis. It's great because it's very simple. You literally take a picture outside your window so you can show everyone what you're essentially looking at all day. And it's all born of this idea that we're sitting in our houses a lot, staring out the windows. And why not don't we show everyone what our view is? And of course, there are some views there. Pretty spectacular. So you're going to get view envy, definitely. If you've made it this far, just wanted to ask you a question. Are you subscribed to our newsletter yet? We will send you the top local and national coronavirus news stories once a day, as well as a link to this podcast. Just text newsletter to 98973. We'll send you a link to sign up. Mike Lewis and I will be back tomorrow with another 10-minute rundown of your daily local coronavirus news. For Cairo Radio, I'm Aaron Granillo.